0: It's time. John Gruden's our guest, head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. JT the Brick, great talking to you. Hope you're well, man. It's time. Well, you know how we want to play, JT.
1: You know me probably better than anybody out there.
2: It's time for the JT the Brick show.
1: We're going to play old school football.
2: JT the Brick on Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m. Can't wait to play in that stadium and get this party started. You got no idea. Here's your host, JT the Brick.
0: Out of the gate, JT with you today on a really busy day. Big week here. Here in Vegas for sports. We had the national championship game last night and a blowout. And we have Masters Week. And Masters Week is big in Vegas because we are a big, big golf town. With the Summit, one of the greatest golf courses built, Shadow Creek, Southern Highlands, all the great golf courses, the Wind Resort Golf Course. We've got a lot of people that play golf in Vegas, so I'm hoping we can get some of your attention focused on the Masters as they tee off on Thursday, and we want to get going with that, too. It's a big week. I love golf. I'm heading out to San Diego this weekend to play some golf and watch some Masters with my buddies, and we got a good week lined up with you. We're brought to you by PTs, where they had a big crowd last night all over the Valley. No establishment had more people in town. Then all the combined PTs for the national championship game. Happy hour five to seven. You could have been there before and then even after the game to celebrate with Baylor midnight to two. The industry knows the best happy hour in town is PTs as they fuel the monologue. Uh, what are we going to get into today is I'm going to lead with the Raiders in a moment. I'll get to the Raiders draft because I'm really excited about where the Raiders sit in the draft. But I want to get into what happened last night with Gonzaga losing. And it got heated on my national show last night because I did something that I don't regret, but I felt like last night I was a cheap debate Skip Bayless guy on the radio that I came up with something that really angered a lot of people. And I want to share it with you because Gonzaga lost for a reason last night. They lost for multiple reasons. And as a sports talk radio host, my job is to figure out why. Not when. We all know when the game is going to be played. Not where. We all know where the game is going to be played. All we do in sports is point fingers. Really, that's all we do in sports radio is we point fingers. And we also try to talk about what happened in the game. And last night I was on live during the game, so I didn't have the luxury of having the coffee club and writers and people telling me what to talk about or read the USA Today or watch Stephen A. Smith in the morning or a Colin Coward show to get someone else's opinion. I go first every night when these games end. So it's not hard. I'm not a police officer. I'm not an airline pilot. I'm not a doctor. It's not a difficult job. But what I get paid to do is I get paid to give opinions on what I see instantly with my, I believe, history in sports and my experience in sports from covering it for 25 years. And last night, a lot of people got triggered about what I said, including Casey Jacobson, who is the former star for Stanford. He played in three tournaments, played in the NBA. I'm going to play you that interview coming up here at the bottom of the hour because we went back and forth with a guy who knows more about basketball than me, but he respects my opinion, and we really got after it. When I have a good piece of content, I play it for you. If it's before the show, if it's after the show, if it's the next day, if I think it's worthy of getting on this show, you'll hear about it, and I don't do that often, but you're going to hear from Casey Jacobson coming up next. So what happened last night is the fact that Gonzaga lost because, A, they were tired. They played UCLA in the... Final Four and UCLA, an inferior team. UCLA wasn't good this year at all. They barely made the tournament. They got an invitation to play in the play-in game. Does anybody understand why? I'll tell you, because they weren't any good in the regular season. So they needed a lottery ticket to get into the tournament with 68 teams. They could have been left out, and if they picked another team, no one would have mentioned UCLA or would have cared. Well, they almost beat Gonzaga. And they gave us a warning sign that maybe Gonzaga is not that great because they play in a garbage conference. Yes, terrible. The WCC, the West Coast Conference, is terrible. For, other than Gonzaga, it's a really bad conference. And the fact that Baylor beat Houston so easily that they were rested and they were able to blow them out 86-70 to 70 in the game. So a lot of things jumped out at me last night. I said, man, wow, I wanted Gonzaga to win. And I also knew that if Gonzaga won, even though they played at an inferior conference in the WCC, it would have closed the debate, and the book would have been closed, and Gonzaga would have sat alongside Bobby Knight in the 1976 Indiana Hoosiers as one of the greatest teams of all time. Undefeated national championship. You can't take that away. You can't. Now we can take it all away. Isn't it amazing in sports what one game could do? That's why it's so remarkable with the 72 Dolphins. I don't think the 72 Dolphins were better than the 72 Raiders. A lot of people agree with me, but they went undefeated and they won the Super Bowl. When you come to sports, you could lose one game and it could change everything. It changes what? Legacy. I thought the Yankees were better than the Red Sox in the early 2000s. They were up three games to none. In the 2004 ALCS, 3-0, biggest collapse in baseball history. Red Sox won four in a row. They won the World Series. I don't think the Red Sox were better than the Yankees, but a miracle happened. They won four in a row, and the legacy shows that the Red Sox were better, and they went on to win four World Series total combined after that started with that one. It really changed everything. Look at Tom Brady. If Tom Brady doesn't beat the Raiders in the tuck rule, Follow me here. If they don't win the tuck rule in a game that they lost, Charles Woodson and Greg Beekert ended that game in Foxborough. If they don't win, Brady doesn't win his first Super Bowl. So we know he doesn't have seven. And if he doesn't win his first, he might not win his first for an extra year or two. It could have changed everything, but it affected what? Legacy. So going into the game last night, the legacy of Gonzaga was on the line. They had to win. And if they won... No one could ever talk about that team again. Bloviators like me couldn't come on the radio and say, you know, Gonzaga won the national championship. They were undefeated, but they to—they beat a bunch of bad teams along the way and they didn't deserve it. Can't do it. I can do that with the Dodgers. The Dodgers only played 60 games last year, 60. So I can put an asterisk on them and say, hey, really good team. But if you look at the annals of history, they didn't play at all. So you can put an asterisk there. There would have been no asterisks for Gonzaga if they took care of business last night. And they weren't able to do it. And in a matter of a few short hours, everything changed. And it got a lot of people worked up because that's what happens in sports. Don't blame me. I'm just the messenger. There are often times that I tell you, I don't control any of these games. Don't get mad at me. Get mad at the coach or the team or the players. And that's what happened with Gonzaga last night as we go to the game. Mitchell and Baylor came out of the gate so fast. Mitchell, what a player. 36 minutes, 6 of 15 from the field for 15 points and a lot of it early.
2: Mitchell launching from deep.
0: The three falls and a 7-0 start for Baylor right out of the gates in the national title game. And they blew him out right in the beginning of the game. Game was over. Six minutes in, Gerard Butler had a really big game. 31 minutes, 6 of 14. He had 22 points and 7 assists. The first player to do that in the National Championship game since Carmelo Anthony. Here's a 3. Here's another shot from the top. And Butler drains another 3. It barely rippled the net. He was 3
2: feet behind the arc. And he strokes the 3. 53-39. Butler's got 16.
0: Yeah, 53-39. They could never get close, Gonzaga, in the game. And then the rest of the role players stepped up really nicely. Teague, 31 minutes, 8 of 15 from the field, 2 of 3 from 3, and he was attacking the rim. Teague runner from the left elbow, rattles around the front and back of the rim and drops 16-point lead for Baylor, 79-63. I'll tell you this, though. Davion Mitchell, Devon Mitchell, this player was unbelievable in the game. He just looked like he was playing at a different level on defense and when he had to close it out eight to shoot mitchell to work baylor fans chanting bu as mitchell drives in and lays it
2: off the window 84 65 davion mitchell patience finish
0: yeah it was incredible in the game i thought he was the player of the game Uh, they didn't give him the outstanding player of the tournament award and then baylor Baylor put up a fight. It looked like Gonzaga was going to come back. Gonzaga was down 10 at the half. They cut it to nine, but they got outscored by six in the second half, and Baylor wins in the blowout. Patterson will put the brakes on and dribble this one out. And the Baylor Bears
2: do indeed bear down to knock off the unbeaten Gonzaga Bulldogs and claim the school's first men's basketball championship. And just the second men's basketball title in the history of the state of Texas. Baylor 86, Gonzaga 70,
0: wire-to-wire winner for the Baylor Bears, national champions in 2021. Uh, that was westwood one on the call fantastic afterwards scott drew talked about the quick start for baylor and how they got off to such a big lead we play with a uh, a culture of joy and that's uh jesus others yourself they came out and uh uh they fed off of each other we got off to a great start and then uh, defensively uh um we're pretty good yeah they were really good they were the best team in the country and not a lot of people saw that a lot of people bought into gonzaga being the best team in America cuz there was a one they were a one seed and I'll get to that in a moment. Mark Few, the head coach of Gonzaga after the game, what a class act he is giving all the credit to the Baylor Bears.
2: Just literally busted us out of anything we could possibly do on offense and we were kind of playing you know with our back to the back, you know, not facing up and and we couldn't get anything generated going to the basket. We were kind of playing sideways and then at the other end they you know we had no answer as far as Keeping some of their guards in front and, and made a couple of mistakes that we t- talked about not doing as far as, as giving them catch-and-shoot threes or shakedown threes, and they, they made us pay in a hurry.
0: Yeah, it wasn't even a contest. So what does that mean to Gonzaga, and how do I tie this into you as we start this sports talk show? This is a very important question. How do you define legacy after a loss? Very important question. How do you define a legacy after a loss? We don't even remember who got the silver medal in the Olympics. We're taught not to think of second place or third place. We don't do it. We don't care about the runner-up. We care about the champion. And this could have been one of the greatest championship teams of all time, and they'll never experience it because they lost only one game, and it was their last game. And I'm trying to come to grips with that. I really am. So after the game last night, if I looked at Gonzaga's schedule, which I did, they played some good teams early. They beat Kansas when they were six. They beat Auburn, West Virginia. So their season opened up. They beat Iowa. But I want you to follow me here for a second, because after they beat Virginia on December 26th, and Virginia wasn't very good this year, but it's a good program, and they recently won, so that's an A-list win. Starting on Monday, December 28th, here's who Gonzaga beat. Follow me, please. This will just take a moment. This is Monday, December 28th, right after Christmas. They beat Northern Arizona, then Dixie State, San Francisco, BYU, Portland, Pepperdine, St. Mary's, Pacific, San Diego, Pepperdine, Pacific, Santa Clara, BYU, San Francisco, St. Mary's, San Diego, Santa Clara, Loyola, Marymount, St. Mary's. So from December 28th to March 8th, they played absolutely nobody. They played one of the weakest schedules in NCAA history. Fact, not fiction. So here's the way I look at this loss. If Gonzaga played in the Big Ten with Illinois, Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio State, there isn't a human being on God's green earth that thinks Gonzaga would have went undefeated. Now, maybe they would have went undefeated in the Pac-12. Pac-12 wasn't very good. They wouldn't have gone undefeated in the Big 12 with Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, Texas, Baylor, who crushed them. They wouldn't have went undefeated. So one of the reasons that we bought in to Gonzaga being undefeated, which they were, and potentially being one of the greatest teams of all time, is we were lulled to sleep by them playing in a conference where they went almost two months Two full months playing no competition. And when I mean no competition, I am dead serious. Beating Pacific, Pepperdine, Santa Clara, and Portland does not count as competition. Where the rest of the country and the ACC and the SEC, Big Ten, Big 12, Pac-12, they're playing back-to-backs, tougher games against tougher opponents. So that's all I'm bringing up. And it got people to go crazy. People are like, what are you doing? You're ruining it for Gonzaga. No, I'm not. I'm telling you, this happens in sports all the time where a team goes undefeated and they go undefeated because they play weaker competition and then they get their head ripped off in the biggest game of the year and everybody looks around and they're shocked. I shouldn't, we shouldn't have been shocked. Gonzaga gave us from the end of December to early March, they played nobody. So they were going to get a one seed and in the tournament, you got to win six games If you're a one seed, the first three games are a joke. You're much better. And Gonzaga could have won the national championship last night. And here's the hook to the monologue. If they won, I never would have brought up anything. I really wouldn't. I would have shut my mouth. If Gonzaga won at all, I never, ever, ever would have said Gonzaga went undefeated. They're the national champs. They beat Baylor and UCLA back to back. But you know that WCC schedule, just a little bit weak. I'm not going to give them the credit they deserve. No, just the opposite. I would have crowned them. I would have crowned their ass as one of the greatest teams of all time. And now because they lost in such an ugly fashion, it insists on me diving deeper into the topic, diving deeper and looking at who they played during the regular season. Not that they couldn't win and beat other teams, but they had such a cupcake schedule. You know, Dick Vitale's the most famous guy in college basketball, and he made the term Cupcake City famous when you're playing nobody. And Gonzaga, because they play in the WCC, played nobody. WCC tournaments here in Vegas – other than Gonzaga, if you gave me a ticket to go see anybody else to play there, I wouldn't be there at the Orleans. I wouldn't waste my time. Sorry if everybody likes it. I don't like that. I don't think it's a really competitive sports. So I'd like to throw that out to you in the opening. Simply, you don't have to agree, and you can disagree with me, but what do you do when a team loses to define their legacy? And I can tie it into the Raiders, because the Raiders lost some of the biggest games ever played From the late 60s to the mid-70s, they lost to the Steelers. They lost to Kansas City. They lost to Miami. They lost to the Jets. All teams that I believe the Raiders were better than. But they didn't win, and the teams that beat them went on to win the championship. It's one of the most important topics in Raider history. is that the fact that the Raiders have played in five Super Bowls and won three, and they should have played in easily 10 Super Bowls and probably won a minimum of five, maybe six. Because those games that they lost from 1967 in Super Bowl II, which I think most of the people we talked to, they lost to the Lombardi Packers. That was a fair loss. They lost to a better team. But after that, they were better than the Jets. The Jets won Super Bowl Three. They beat Kansas City twice the year Kansas City won the Super Bowl. I mentioned the Dolphins and the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Immaculate Reception, that scam, and all of that. The Raiders win. They win the Super Bowl. But it's what it could have should have. And no one gave the Raiders in the 70s the credit that they deserved for being the second-best team in all of football, did they? No. They didn't give it to them. It was about the Super Bowl, and they couldn't win the big one until they broke through in the '76 season and won the Super Bowl in 77. Finally, the weight of the world came off of John Madden and those great players, and they were Super Bowl champions. 702-365-9200. That's 18 minutes of me. Let's hear from you on what I just brought up. I know you got an opinion on that as we put to bed college basketball, and I'm sure you have an opinion on that. The legacy, Gonzaga, or the conference that they played in, uh, why they didn't win, and why did they get blown out? You watched the game last night. It was the biggest sporting event probably of the year so far, other than the Super Bowl last night, 702 Hey, exciting news. We want to welcome the M Resort Spa and Casino to the JT The Brick Show as they are a proud partner of our show. I found that out today from my boss. We're excited about that. You'll be seeing this show out at the M from time to time, and we'll be promoting the hell out of it. I love the property. I love the Tavern and Grill. I love the fact that it's a casino partnership. I love the fact that we're going to be doing some unique programming there and some special events. And no matter where you are in Vegas, but especially if you're in the Henderson area, uh, we'll be out there from time to time and we'll tell you all about it. We want to thank the M for the confidence that they have in the show and their ability to be a partner of ours. They are a real partner. We're looking forward to all that. All right, let me get to the Raiders. The Raiders select number 17 in the first round of the draft. So good news and bad news. The bad news is there's going to be a couple of players that they need that are going to be gone. The good news is I don't believe that the Raiders pick 17 overall. I believe they pick six. Because the players that are going are obvious. And the Raiders have no interest in many of them. So follow me here. The quarterbacks are going to go before the Raiders pick at 17. That'll be Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson to the Jets, possibly Justin Fields or Mac Jones to the 49ers, and Trey Lance. So all five of those quarterbacks are gone. You subtract that from 17, we're at 12. Now, the best corner defensive player in the secondary is Patrick Sertain, the second. He'll be gone, along with the best tight end in all of football. Coming in, Kyle Pitts of Florida, who in other drafts could go number one or two. He'll be gone. I also believe that Jamar Chase, the LSU wide receiver who opted out last year, will be gone, along with the Heisman Trophy winner, Devontae Smith, who is a brilliant receiver. Brilliant. He'll be gone. It's a lot that Penny Sewell, the best offensive lineman from Oregon, will be gone. I'm also pretty... Pretty confident that Micah Parsons, the best linebacker in the draft, will be gone. So I just named for you five quarterbacks, Sertain, Pitts, Chase, Smith, Sewell, and Micah Parsons. That's 11. So the Raiders, the draft starts at the 12th pick, I believe. Starts at 12. And then it goes to 17 in the Raiders' world. So if you look at 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, okay, there are five players that are going to be taken in front of the Raiders, and I think that the Raiders could get one of five or six players that are on their board that they're thrilled with. I believe those players consist of Pay from Michigan, who could be gone, uh, Jalen Phillips, the edge rusher from Miami, or Greg Rousseau from Miami, I also believe on the offensive line, the Raiders are going to look at Rashawn Slater of Northwestern. I believe he'll be gone. And Christian Darashaw of Virginia Tech could be available for the Raiders. If he is gone, Uh, that'll be a tackle that they're interested in. So then there's Decease Horn from South Carolina, a cornerback who could be available. And Jalen Waddell, the wide receiver from Alabama, who I don't think they'll take because they have Henry Ruggs. And they have a couple of players like that. So what my goal is to do with you all over the next couple of weeks is to whittle down who's left for the Raiders at 17. And the way we're going to do it is easy, very easy. We're going to throw out the players they can't get, which I think is a celebration for the Raiders. The five quarterbacks are gone, and the Raiders don't need a quarterback. They have Derek Carr. Pitts is gone the tight end. They have Darren Waller. And then I would think, for me, the big decision would be would the Raiders want to trade up from 17 to maybe number 10, 11, 9, whatever it is, to go get Micah Parsons, the linebacker, who's better than any linebacker on the Raiders currently or has been with the Raiders for a decade. So I would trade up from 17. I would. And I would move up to get Micah Parsons, but I doubt the Raiders are going to do that. I think the Raiders are going to wait for the best edge rusher or right tackle available who's there, and they're going to get a very good player. And we're going to get that player on the radio, and he's going to be fine, and the Raiders are going to have a starter at 17. Not a project. Okay, because that's the one thing I need you on the same page with me. No more projects. No more guys getting drafted in the first round that need time to figure it out. Josh Jacobs didn't need any time. He was drafted late in the first round. He was ready to play. Khalil Mack was drafted. He was a great player. The Raiders have got Amari Cooper came in. He was an outstanding player when he got drafted. The Raiders got to get back to drafting a first-round pick at number 17 that is going to step up and play at a very high level, the way they did in Tampa last year. And to play at a Pro Bowl level, that's why you scout them. That's why you draft him. That's why you coach him up. There is an enormous budget for Mike Mayock's staff which are scouts who, to, who are supposed to go around and get this pick right. And John Gruden that has very big authority when it comes to decisions, when it comes to the roster. Between Gruden and the Mayock budget for his staff, they've got to hit a home run at 17. I am confident that they'll be able to do that. I'm confident that they'll do that because if, the, if there were no quarterbacks and there were just one or two, I think the Raiders would have been screwed. Really would. If There was only Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields and the rest of the guys weren't available. Then there would have been a run on offensive line and a run on defensive players. And the Raiders would have been guessing now. No way. There's one of six players that are going to fall from the Raiders, I believe. And I think I'll have that number completely dialed in on draft night. When I'm anchoring the Raider draft for you, Chris and West Oakland, always good to start us off. Hello, Chris. Hey, JT. How you doing? First off, uh, Taking my medicine here,
1: you know, I've been on Gonzaga's bandwagon all year. Uh, Hats off to Baylor. They played a great game last night. They were bigger, stronger, faster. They were just a buzzsaw. Reminded me a lot of the Tampa Bay Bucks in the Super Bowl. You know, weren't necessarily favored, but a couple minutes into the game, you said, oh, man, this is going to be a tough one. But I'm going to take a little exception with what you said. I am so tired of the world we live in that when a team loses one game, everything they've done has been erased. Look. We all know Gonzaga plays in the WCC. There's not a single person alive that knows anything about college basketball is going to tell you they're going to be undefeated. They're going to do what they did if they played in another power conference. But they did not lose last night because of the conference they play in. This team destroyed every team in front of them this year. Big 10, Pac-12, Big 12, you name it. They beat a Kansas team by 20 that beat this Baylor team. The last 10 or 12 years, JT, I saw a stat. Mark Hughes' team in the non-conference against Power Five, their last 100 games over the last 15 years, they're 82-18. and 18. And, oh, yeah, every single one of those games is on the road because nobody will go up there to play them. So um, they didn't lose last night, had nothing to do with the conference they played in. What they did to the WCNC this year, they did to every Power Five conference game, team along the way. They just ran into a buzzsaw last night. Hats off to Baylor, and what Drew has done with that program from where it was, where he took over to now, is unbelievable. But Gonzaga's a lot like UNLV in the 80s. They said the same thing until Tark finally broke through and won a, and won a, and won a title, then probably should have won it the next year. So, my hats off to Gonzaga. It takes away nothing. This would not have been the greatest team of all time. I never said that. Most people didn't say that. Being undefeated this day and age would have been impressive. But again, I'm tired of all the pundits and the world we live in, a team's on a pedestal, but then when you lose one game, it's like everything you've done is wiped away. I fully believe Mark Hugh Mark will still get a title one day in Gonzaga. It's going to happen, you know, maybe in the next few years. Same thing happened for years with Jimmy Beheim. He won that one game on a night when Kansas couldn't shoot a free throw. Doesn't necessarily make him a better coach or the better program. So hats off to Baylor. You did what you had to do. You were the best team last night, hands down. But that doesn't mean Gonzaga up until that point wasn't the best team all season long. They just got beat by a better team last night. And I'm tired of hearing about the conference they play in. And Gonzaga will still put more players in the NBA off this team than the Baylor team will. Anyway, thanks for letting me rant, my friend. Again, Mm -hmm. I was dead wrong. Congratulations, Scott Drew and Baylor. Talk to you later.
0: Great phone call, and I agree with the majority of it, other than the fact that we made them out to be the great undefeated team going into the national championship game. They weren't a great undefeated team because they played in an inferior conference that made them undefeated. That's the only point I'm saying. They still would have got in the tournament. They still could have won the tournament. I still think they could have beat Baylor. But the point was we built them up to be this 29-0, and 30-0 team When 15 of the 30 wins are laughable, they're a joke. The Mountain West is tougher. They're not playing San Diego State. They're playing the San Diego Toreros. They're not playing the teams that should push them out west. So all I'm saying is that Gonzaga, it's tough. They're stuck in Spokane. They're playing in the conference there. They should be playing in the Pac-12. Tell me how great Gonzaga would be on a weekend if they had to go to L.A. and play USC, UCLA back-to-back, then go play Stanford and at Cal in certain years, and then get on a plane and play the rest of the Pac-12. They wouldn't be undefeated. They'd lose games. So they'd come into the tournament, and we wouldn't have to spend any time talking about this team being undefeated like Bobby Knight. We wasted time talking about comparing them to Bobby Knight's 76 Hoosiers, which didn't play the greatest schedule of all time but they played in the Big Ten. So I wish Gonzaga would have won. I really do. I wish we would have did a whole show today on Gonzaga winning. It would have been a memorable event. Baylor deserves all the credit, and they didn't get a lot of it because Gonzaga sucked up all the oxygen in the room. The monologue brought to you by Remy Martin. When I talk X's and O's, I team up for excellence. A Remy Martin cocktail in your hand. They have the new bar in the back of the Raiders Tavern and grill in the back it's the remy martin bar oh my god you'll find me there when you walk into that just go to your left to the remy martin private room we'll be kicking it back there my conversation with casey jacobson it got heated last night it's next All year long, this is what they do. We have a starting rotation, and each night might be someone different, but they've sacrificed for each other all year long. And I've said this, if you're gonna be in the bubble for three, four weeks, you better be with people you love and spending time with these guys, 20, 25, 30 years, our coaches' staff will enjoy most spending time with them. They're unbelievable people, great basketball players, better people. Scott Drew after Baylor won last night, JT back with you, Casey Jacobson, had a brilliant career at Stanford in three tournaments. It was the 22nd pick overall in the first round of the 2002 draft by the Phoenix Suns. I talked to him after the game last night about why Gonzaga was exposed so easily.
3: Well, first of all, JT, good to be on with you tonight. Uh, rather disappointing into a season. I just wish it was a close game, right? Selfish perspectives. I, I didn't really have a dog in the fight um, or a bear in the fight, I guess I should say, but, um, I was just hoping for a good game. But, JT, the start of this game was incredible. Okay? And I don't want to make excuses for Gonzaga because that would take away from what Baylor did. However, it's fair to say that emotionally, Gonzaga came out flat. And you could say, yeah, they, they played a late overtime game against UCLA, a ton of emotions. They got a lot of attention because of how that game ended. Meanwhile, Baylor was in their hotel watching that game and salivating, hoping that it would go to triple overtime because they were hungry and then they start that game making five out of five from three and you add that to baylor's already baylor already had the advantage defensively to me it was it was the 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 one thing i i thought that gonzaga would win this game but i i said to myself if baylor defensively can be physical with jalen suggs and maybe drew timmy and take those two guys out then Baylor, the the the, the tide switches, the, the, the table is flipped. And that's exactly what happened in the first 10 minutes. And Gonzaga had not been in that position before. Yes, they trailed, but they hadn't been hit in the face like that all season. Um, but, but give Baylor credit, man. That was an incredible performance.
0: All right. So I've been going to battle with fans, and I have to just say this, and we could agree to disagree. There's no doubt in my mind if Gonzaga plays in the Big 12 or the Big 10 or the Pac-12, They're not undefeated, and the story completely changes. There's no Bobby Knight comparison to 76. Maybe they get two losses. Casey, they could have won the Pac-12. They probably would have won the Big Ten over Michigan and Illinois. But my point is they become Gonzaga, a one seed and an undefeated seed, because they play in the WCC. And I went through the schedule, and the schedule's a joke from the Dixie State game to Pepperdine to St. Mary's and some of these games when Baylor's going to war in the Big 12 or your Stanford-UCLA and the battles we see in the Pac-12, I don't think it changed the game tonight, but it's got to be a part of the conversation. Uh,
3: It can be a part of the conversation if you want it to be. I'm going to push back, though. Yeah, Um, please do. Yeah, this, this was a narrative that was going around maybe 10, 9, 8 years ago. Um, that Gonzaga was having to constantly fight against. You cannot say that anymore, and I I don't think it's um, applicable to this season. In fact, I think Baylor uh, would have gone undefeated in the Big 12 this year had they not gone through their COVID pause, right? That was why they lost those two games. Let's be honest about that. I think if Gonzaga played in the Pac-12, they would have been undefeated. I really believe that. I think if Gonzaga played in most conferences, they'd be undefeated. But I I don't really – I'm not interested in that conversation. Um, Mm -hmm. What what I'm saying is this year, Gonzaga proved, JT, without a doubt that they were either the best or the second-best team in the country, along with Baylor. This, This isn't a surprise. This Gonzaga or Baylor, I had this debate with Steve Lavin and Jim Jackson on our FS1 studio shows multiple times this year. It's not a surprise that these two teams played tonight. It was a surprise how Baylor won. I didn't think that they would blow out Gonzaga. But JT, Gonzaga played a non-conference season this year where they beat Kansas handily. They beat yep. Auburn handily. They beat West Virginia. It wasn't handily, but Jalen Suggs got hurt in that game. They still battled against a very good West Virginia team. They blew out um, an, a good Iowa team. They blew out a, a good Virginia team. Not great teams, but very, very good teams. Yeah. Okay. So their non conference was more than enough to prove that they were either the best or the second best. That's unquestionable to me.
0: Casey Jackson's our guest. So when they went from. December 28, Northern Arizona, to their conference championship game, March 9th, BYU, and they were down and they won and beat BYU. Literally from, and you played at the highest level, you were a great college player and a pro, when you see the the lack of competition they have for months, not weeks, months, then I look at it and I go, okay, that's got to be brought up, but you're right about the non-conference. And in the tournament, I just thought, they got a little bit exposed by UCLA and the physicality of what UCLA did, Casey. And I thought UCLA was an average team this year. I wasn't confident a week before the end of the season that they'd even get into the tournament.
3: Okay, but but Gonzaga, like, we don't need to debate the the strength yeah. of the WCC. But when Gonzaga got into the tournament, like, they beat good teams. They, like Oklahoma is a really good team, then Creighton, then sure. USC. Yeah, they struggled with UCLA. That was surprising for sure to go into overtime, but UCLA was playing incredible basketball. I mean, like what we look at what UCLA did to the five teams that they played. They made, you know, every one of their opponents from Michigan State all the way to Gonzaga work for every possession. It was a different UCLA team. I don't care that like I think they finished twenty-two and ten, but like. The, the UCLA that we saw the last two weeks was a different team. I, mean, I don't care how many losses or wins they had. They were playing at a really, really high level with Juzang and and, and Haquez. So, like, I, again, I think you know we're trying to tear – or I, I believe you're trying to tear down Gonzaga when they mm-hmm. went undefeated, including all the way to the national title game. I mean, what are we talking about here? No, no, the only they point were... I'm trying to
0: make, Casey, the only point I'm making is that they, they don't go undefeated if they play a tougher schedule. Not at all. This schedule – from late mid I, to late so I December, disagree. oh, I go okay. again. That's why we have you on. You're a great guest. You played. I didn't. I'll respect your opinion on that. But when I when I go down the list for you, with um, Northern Arizona, Dixie State, San Francisco, Portland, Pepperdine, Saint Mary's, Pacific, the San Diego Toreros, not San Diego State, the San Diego Toreros, Pacific Santa Clara. Again, I'm just thinking if they're running through a gauntlet like Baylor, Illinois, Michigan. Through those months of January into February, I just don't think they're coming in undefeated. But do I think they're a top team? Absolutely. I thought they were going to win tonight. Do you believe that they should consider leaving the WCC for the Pac-12 or a bigger conference if they had that opportunity?
3: Um, that's a good question. I'm sure it's been considered many times over. Um, you know, Mark Few, he's been there now, I think, 21 seasons as a head coach. Um yeah, it, it so this is a fair this, this is a fair assessment whether or not mm-hmm. you know um if they have the opportunity or the invitation to join a bigger league if they if they should do that. Um mm-hmm. look, it's still working for them. You know, again, Gonzaga has built themselves up so high in the sport of college basketball, they can schedule any team in America. That was yes. not the case a decade ago. It is different. They can go out and teams will schedule, they can go play duke on a neutral floor in maui or you know north carolina on a neutral floor in arizona gonzaga is such a big brand now that i don't think that they have to be in a power conference if i can answer your question that way it's now a choice that they can either make or not make but 10 years ago it was very much a they need to do this if they're ever going to be the big time now they are the big time they can go out in the non-conference and play anywhere against anybody in the country, maybe besides Spokane. But I think they're okay with traveling outside of Spokane and playing the big boys. Um, so maybe you know they, they like where they're at, where they challenge themselves in the non-con, not the non-con and yet they still get a rack up wins in the WCC. Now, what you're saying is they are not getting tested as much as Baylor and others, but they have made two national championship games in mm-hmm. the last. Four tournaments that we've seen, in 2017 and 2021, they've played in the national title game. I think we can say that it's working okay.
0: Yeah, it is, and I'm not arguing with you on that, but I will push back again because I'm really enjoying this. They were going to be compared with Bob Knight's 1976 team if they won this game tonight. They would have been compared with them. I don't think they would have been because I don't think running through the WCC compared to what Bob Knight ran through – in that conference and who he played is comparable. I don't think it is because I don't think it is at all because of the quality of the easy cupcake. As Dickie V said, the king of your industry, the cupcakes Mm -hmm. are too massive for Gonzaga now. It it, it helps them have a better opportunity to come into the tournament undefeated, and that's not going to change Casey next year or three years from now. They're going to run through the WCC – Maybe they'll lose a game in non-conference because it's Kansas or it's Duke. And then they're going to come in 29-1 as a one seed. And if they run into a Baylor or a UCLA or someone, I mean, they're going to have to play who they beat. I thought they were the champion this year. I'm really disappointed that they lost. But I'm just I'm just telling you what I think, my friend. That's it.
3: Yeah, I I, I understand. But what like statistically, JT, like yeah. I, I don't know if you want to get into a nerdy conversation about like advanced yeah. analytics. So you know, like th- this is one of the best offenses we have seen in the last yes. 25 years. Okay, um, that is inarguable. Um, they played in the weak WCC, but you also understand that 27 of the last 28 games up until tonight, they won by double digits. So, okay, they're playing weaker competition, and they're blowing the doors off of them. Like what a, a historically good team should do when they play inferior opponents is step on them. That's what they did all season long. And, you know, they didn't do it against UCLA, but UCLA hung tough, and they found a way to still gut it out. And then they did – like, look, I am not arguing that Gonzaga is a better team than Baylor. You cannot do that. Um, Baylor was was stronger. They were more athletic. Um, They were mentally tough, and they looked hungrier tonight. But this Gonzaga team, like, to me, will go down as one of the best college basketball teams to never win a championship. I put them in the top five of that category.
0: I agree with that. And I I do think that – I I sound like I'm taking away something from them, and I apologize if it's coming off that way. I just – I live in Vegas, and I wouldn't go to that yep. WCC tournament if you gave me your credential and a ticket. It's non-competitive, and I think Baylor, I think we didn't – not you because you're a pro at this. I think a lot of the country didn't give Baylor the credit that they got because we were falling in love and drooling all over Gonzaga, and they boat raced them tonight. They blew him off the court, yep. and I was surprised by that.
3: Baylor had a legitimate chance to go undefeated as well,
0: and we mm-hmm. talked about that a few
3: times on, on FS1 uh, this right. year, that Baylor – Look, like they were clearly better than every team in the uh, in the Big Twelve. Their only two losses this year came against Kansas, which was like a week after they had a COVID pause of over two weeks. Mm-hmm. Okay, so a week after that, they lose to Kansas um, at, uh, uh, in Lawrence, and then the, the other game they lost to was against Oklahoma State. Um, you know, in, in the in the Big Twelve Conference Tournament, second round, uh, Kate Cunningham had a phenomenal game. Those were the only two games that they lost all year, so. This was a team that really had a chance as well, like Gonzaga, to go undefeated. They were on a collision course all year. What? But let's not also forget JT. What? what Baylor did against Houston, a, a pretty good Houston team. They they, they curb stomped Houston, okay, and then you know uh, saved enough in the tank to absolutely come out of the gates tonight. And you know it reminded me of that Mike Tyson quote: "Everyone has a plan until you get punched in the mouth." I think Gonzaga absolutely. had a plan. Yeah, Gonzaga had planned. We're going to play them one on one defensively, and in the first five minutes, they were like, "Holy crap, we can't guard them man to man one on one. It's not going to work out." But by the by the time they went to that zone, it was too late. The game was over.
0: Thank you, Casey. Great job. Always a thrilling conversation with you. Thanks for the analysis post game.
3: My pleasure. Have a good night, JT.
0: Casey Jacobson from last night. I think that was worth it. He. Good pushback, good pushing and shoving back there on Gonzaga. And where do they stand? Cover of the Las Vegas Review-Journal mauled, mauled. Bears relentless in ending Gonzaga's run at perfection. Jeff Sherman joins us next from the Westgate on the Masters Odds and anything else that's changed here in the last two weeks. He's got a lot of information from the Westgate on deck.
2: Mitchell with four, with three, step back, open three. Mitchell hits the three. Oh, my, what an end to a dominant first-half
0: performance for the Baylor Bears. Baylor, your national champions, JT, back with you as we continue on. Time to welcome in Jeff Sherman from the Superbook, the VP of Risk Management. And, Jeff, good to talk to you. Take me through the game last night, the liability you had coming in on Gonzaga and especially the way Baylor looked getting points. Yeah, well, we had
4: some uh, liability throughout the season on Gonzaga Futures, and we worked that down to where they were a small winner, but we were in a lot better shape on Baylor. And then as far as the game itself, uh, we opened the game Gonzaga minus 5, had a lot of public money taking the five, taking the money line on Baylor. And uh, when we got to four-and-a-half, some sharps took four-and-a-half. We went to four. They laid four. Uh, But we definitely uh, lost to the game last night. Public was all over Baylor, money line and point spread.
0: What did you see from Baylor in the last couple of weeks, especially the win against Houston? Looking back on this, as a great odds maker, when you saw Gonzaga get pushed to overtime against UCLA compared to the Baylor blowout win against Houston and fresher legs, did that change the outcome of the game to you?
4: Well, they got off to a quick start in their last two games, and that was key, hitting the three-pointers, and that's, that's how that team is driven, so... Uh, by doing that, they were able to distance themselves from both Houston and Gonzaga, and they, the other teams couldn't catch up. So it really helped them out with those quick starts. And I think that's why the public really bet Baylor last night, because they saw Gonzaga struggle and Baylor take care of Houston rather easily.
0: Jeff Sherman joins us. So you set the odds for next year's tournament winner, Gonzaga 5-1, to Baylor 16-1. to uh, what am I seeing here with Gonzaga, who they return, and obviously the ease of their conference in the WCC, that should get them a high seed in the tournament.
4: Yeah, well, they'll, they'll be losing a few of their top players, but we would mm-hmm. expect Timmy to be back. Plus, they got a couple top recruits coming in, and that's the key to opening them up as a single-digit favorite next year, a 5-1, to uh, is getting a, a couple top recruits. Uh, other, other teams will be losing some players, UCLA is going to be very popular at 16-1. to 1. We've already seen some tickets, and we just opened it up today. So uh, got this up as quickly as we could, and people are ready to, to play it.
0: Jeff Sherman is our guest. Your wheelhouse, your expertise, the Masters. Let's do a deep dive on this. Early this morning, I watched some practice, some time at the range. The big talk on DeChambeau and his sight lines and how these – Warm-up rounds for him are really important as he's trying to take it over trees, taking it over historical spots that no one has attempted before. He's 10-1. to Let's talk about what you're thinking with those odds.
4: Well, DeChambeau is fascinating because he went into the November Masters and thought it was going to be really easy for his game, and he was humbled by not playing so well. And I think Mm -hmm. he's going to use that as a learning experience coming in here and take a more conservative approach from a more management standpoint and not just grip it, rip it, and be aggressive and think he can dominate the course. Now I expect Augusta National to make the course play harder this time around. Dustin Johnson won it rather easily, uh, really low under par last time. I've got the the winning score right now. We opened at 13.5 under par. We're at 12.5 under par. So the sharp players are thinking it's going to play much tougher than we saw in November. And I think DeChambeau is going to take a different approach which will help his cause this time around. And I expect him to have a much better performance.
0: You have Dustin Johnson as the favorite at 9-1. to one. Why is that considering how poorly he's been playing? Do you think he has the ability now, knowing Augusta and being the reigning champ, to flip the switch?
4: Well, that's a big thing is coming off the, the recent win in November there. And each time I go to 9-1, to one, I get some support on him. Just the other day mm. I took 5,000 on him at 9-1. to one. I went down to eight to one, but then the money subsided. I'm back at nine to one, and now it's showing up again. So it's tough to see him higher than that. But at nine to one, we command the support we're looking for, and it keeps him as the favorite.
0: Jordan Spieth at 12-1, to interesting to me, won the Valero Open, he putted extremely well, he chipped out to win, he was just really good with his short game there, but again, there was a, almost a four-year drought, so are a lot of betters looking at this saying, man, he just won, I want to get back on this train again, or are the Sharps looking back saying he's been nowhere to be found in these majors?
4: Well, the public is definitely backing him, and you could have found him at 60-1 to right before the Phoenix Open when he started his hot streak, and His odds were quickly lowered from 60 to 30 that week, and ever since then, most of our liability and money on him is at 12 to 1. So the public's definitely backing him. But if you look at the matchup market, the Sharps are fading speeds, and they're betting McElroy, uh, Cantley, Justin Thomas. They're betting everyone against Jordan Speeds in the matchup markets.
0: Jeff Sherman from the Westgate. What about Morikawa going for his second major the way he played at Harding Park? He's at 30-1. to 1. I think there's great value there along with Tony Finau, who's a guy who's trying to break through to the other side.
4: Yeah, is interesting because he's got a couple of solid wins between the PGA Championship and his WGC event. But at 30-1, to 1, the public's supporting him. And again, just like Speed, the Sharps are betting against him in every matchup. So you have an interesting dichotomy going there. And Tony Finau is someone that the public loves to support at the Masters and in the Majors in general. And he usually runs top 10 or so, but he doesn't come away with the win. So I'm getting the money at 30-1, to but if I was to give a recommendation, you might want to play him top 20 or top 10, where Mm -hmm. he has some leeway because he has finished in those ranges, but he just doesn't get the wins.
0: Jeff Sherman from the Westgate as we wrap it up. Where's the money coming in on the Lakers now? Don't know when Anthony Davis is coming back. Uh, they get Drummond, but he was injured early. Uh, LeBron's coming back, but this team, they're not going to get home court advantage. they got some work to do. How far can they drop out or drop near the 7 or 8 seed, or do you think it's safe and they're going to get healthy and make a run?
4: Well, I think that they're probably going to end up in the play-in round and it's still a while before Davis and LeBron are going to be back. And they're just embarking on an East coast road trip right now. And so it's going to be a tough go for them to maintain their, their status in the standings. And it wouldn't surprise me if they're in the playing round because they need these guys to mm-hmm. come back a hundred percent healthy and not rush them back. And since we're looking at that, we bumped them up as high as six to one recently, but we took 20,000 on them at six to one, got more support at five to one and nine to two. So they're still sitting at 4-1 to one odds because of the support out there. But realistically, they're going to have a tougher path to go, especially if they're in that play, playing round.
0: And where are the Nets? Where do you have the Brooklyn Nets right now?
4: Well, we have them at 7-4 to four odds because we've got some mm-hmm. early season liability. Uh, it hasn't been late, but you look at them in the standings, and James Harden has held their position there, uh, even with the other players out. So when they're at full strength, which you know we'll see when that happens, but um, they're the starting point in the Eastern Conference, and that's a team that people like to play.
0: Jeff, last one. We're hockey fans. We live in Vegas. For everybody else listening, who was the favorite right now to win the Stanley Cup? Who's the hot team with the short odds?
4: Uh, well, there's no doubt that's a Colorado avalanche, the way they're playing. Mm. We've lowered them to 4-1. to one. Uh, We have the Knights wow. at 7-1, to one, but uh, Colorado's on an incredible run, and they're outscoring teams at a high rate. So when that team is healthy... They're the best team in hockey and power-rated as such. Uh, when we've seen them kind of struggle, it's been when they've had injuries in their lineup. But a healthy avalanche is the number one-rated team.
0: Thank you, Jeff. We'll see you at the Westgate. Thanks for the time, my friend.
4: All right. Thanks, JT.
0: That's Jeff Sherman. A deep dive into gambling and the odds heading into a big week for him. Coming off the national championship game with Baylor into the Masters, where he's a golf handicap expert at Golf Odds is where to follow him on twitter when we come back we'll reset we'll still say goodbye to college basketball we're a sports talk show we do that here we'll take a look at the golden knights most impressive win arguably of the season that's fantastic the raiders in the draft kind of quiet time over there in henderson guys we're getting a little bit of